It's like nothing I'd ever seen. Trees sheared off at the base, trees totally uprooted. Many members of the community told us, and this didn't only come from one, that they'd ridden out many storms in the area before, but this is the first time in their life they were ever afraid. On today's episode of Plugged In, we're talking to Patrick Hanley, a section manager for Bronx Westchester Overhead. A 16-year veteran of Con Edison, Patrick just returned from his first mutual aid assignment, where over a period of three weeks, he and his team helped restore power to the people in Mississippi and Louisiana, impacted by Hurricane Ida. The energy industry is one of the few industries that during a time of crisis support each other by sending crews to help restore customers in neighboring communities and states across the country. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Uh, well, Alfonso, how are you? I'm all right. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, we want to sort of uh, do a little bit of a deep dive into Hurricane Ida. Uh, Hurricane Ida came um, several weeks ago, uh, sort of ravished through the lower part of the country and even hit us in New York. Uh, but we really want to focus on uh, the efforts that you all did in Louisiana. Um, now, the, the, when Ida hit, it really did hit the Gulf Coast very, very hard. Uh, more than a million people were out of power. A lot of people were, um, you know, really devastated by this hurricane. This isn't the first time Con Edison has sent crews down after a hurricane. Um, I myself went down to Florida after a hurricane, after Hurricane Maria. I went down with our crews down to uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and I was just amazed about how the how much effort it takes to actually get all of these people and all of these huge vehicles uh, you know, driving down to an affected area. Um, where in Louisiana, where were you at and how actually did you get there? Sure. So our journey is, uh, like, like you mentioned, anytime you're looking to move a number of people, we had 59 people in total and 41 of which were linemen, right? Work, work physically, you know, working, uh, putting up poles and wires and you've got to bring all your own material, you know, not material, but trucks and, and your personal protective equipment and all that other gear that you need that you may use on a day-to-day -day basis with you as you travel down. So a uh, bit of a journey. It took about two and a half days to get from New York down to our first stop was actually just outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, we were we were first basically brought on by Entergy Mississippi to assist with restoration in the Mississippi area because they were also pretty heavily hit. At one point, they had over 100,000 customers out of power. Uh, so we had gone there at first and we worked in the Jackson area for about two days doing some other remaining cleanup work as they were working to finalize restoration for their customers. And once we had kind of wrapped up in the Jackson, Mississippi area, uh, Entergy, Louisiana had brought us, had started to bring resources down from the Mississippi area into the northern Louisiana area to begin restoration in the more heavily impacted areas of Louisiana. So we were brought down to an area called Ponchatoula. Louisiana, which is about an hour north of New Orleans. And Boy, we say, that, say that three times yeah. real fast, huh? <laughs> Precisely. Uh, and try to find it on a map if you've never been there kind of thing, right? Uh, cer certainly certainly some, you know, culture shock right down, down south. There's a lot of things to adjust to, and, and I'm sure we could talk on that, but, you know, you're adjusting to the differences in temperature, just the differences in, in your environment, where, where you're driving, the kind of hazards you're facing, and you're working with an unfamiliar public, right? An unfamiliar community. And you're trying to learn kind of what's their culture and, and how we best position to help them. So uh, that, that's all part of the journey, you know, and the excitement, I think, of going somewhere different. 
When I was down in Florida, uh, the host uh, utility really had a um, center where sort of all the utilities would gather, uh, where they had a bunch of facilities. Did they have anything like that? And how did they sort of get you all together to sort of prep you and give you an orientation of sort of the area that you were going into? Was Was there anything like that? Yeah, so there was not in this case. We were brought in probably a few days after they had started major restoration in the area. So our onboarding in the Mississippi part of the response was really a, a couple of utilities got together in, in an old fairground that they had kind of pushed, you know, put aside there for us to use and get our onboarding and, and connect with the local energy folks. Uh, and, and that obviously was, was good for those first couple of days. And then we, when we went down to Louisiana, uh, our, our onboarding was really done more one-on-one with our, our local crew guide who was assigned to us who wrote out the area we'd be working and, and we basically touched base with them to get the details on where we'd be working, the work rules, and then kind of used our organic processes in terms of job briefings and safety meetings with our team to get everybody on board. So a very different approach, I think, in that area. I think it's worth calling out, and, and I had spent some time in Louisiana in the past and in, in a former life, you know, they're bringing down that many people, you know, I, I, as I understand it, they brought in something around the order of 25,000 linemen just to assist. That's a huge number of added people to an area that's already really resource strained in terms of housing folks, people who've been displaced from the southern part of the state. So I think we going in there, we need to have an appreciation and a realization that the, the people we're going to help are, are really been put out here. And we're adding a resource strain to that community on top of what they're already trying to deal with. So I think Entergy did you know, what their best in terms of trying to work around the limited resources that were available to really house and get everybody in one place, and but yet still ensure that we got all the support and the safety information we needed. So we, we worked with them in that way. Now, how many people uh, did Con Edison bring down to Louisiana and how many vehicles? And where did you guys like stay overnight? Do they have a hotel for you? How, how did that work out? Yeah, so this is an interesting part of the story. We we brought 59 people and all told it was around 28 vehicles. That That's, you know, if you include work vehicles and then some of the passenger vehicles. So things you need to think about when you take large vehicles on the road are bringing mechanics with you and tow trucks and vehicle supplies. So there's a lot of logistics and we had some great support from our logistics team here and emergency preparedness team at Con Ed, working with the operations team and, and the folks here to really make sure we had our I's dotted, our T's crossed, so to speak. On the way down, you know, travel is pretty much up to us. We pick the route that's the safest and the most sufficient to get us to the area as soon as we can. Our our, our team really, especially our linemen, they, they live for this kind of work, right? So they want to get to work as soon as they can safely. They want to get out there, be able to restore power and, and do that as quickly as they can. We obviously got to get them there safely first to do that. Uh, we had a couple of hotel stops down on the way down. And when we first arrived in Jackson, Mississippi, we were in a hotel for a couple of nights. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, some the resources in that area are really constrained. And with the number of personnel responding down there, not, you're not just utility, you have government employees like FEMA, you've got other contractor construction recovery type utilities or outfits that are also trying to assist in the area. So that population swells pretty quickly to where hotels just can't possibly contain the number of people needed. So Entergy worked with us and our first stop outside of a hotel was actually a 
uh, a Bible camp that they use typically in the summer times for children for church getaways. Uh, and that was a uh, Camp Garraway, just outside of uh, Jackson, Mississippi, in a place called Clinton. And so we stayed there, small cabins, about 15 people to a cabin. And we spent a couple of nights camping, I guess you can say, overnight in, a, in the campground there in uh, Camp Garraway. And it was very, they're very lovely people. It was a, a great, uh, almost like a little retreat, I guess, after working all day. You come back and you get to kind of decompress in what was really a beautiful setting. And then as we made our way down south towards Pontchartula, Louisiana, uh, actually Entergy had worked to build a camp, a temporary basically camp using trailered housing, trailered bed units and showers. So they took what what's usually a rodeo facility where they hold actual rodeos, like horse rodeos. Um, and they filled this lot up with with trailers and shower facilities, laundry facilities, uh, dining tent inside on the rodeo ground itself. So you're actually eating where you typically would have horses or whatever whatever else they're working in the rodeo proper. Uh, so we stayed there for a couple of nights and that put us much closer to where we were working. And then our last set, uh, about a you know, week and a half, one of the first customers we restored in Ponchatoula was actually an old uh, Catholic nunnery where Catholic nuns used to stay and there's a property with a church on it. And over time it had eventually been bought by a, bought by a private citizen, but who, they kept it basically as a retreat for local organizations to use. And after we had restored power to them, uh, they, they offered for us to be able to stay there, which put us right in the working area. And there was a, a lovely setup and we we're really, they were re- really gracious to them to give us that opportunity, put us in a place where we can get out to work right away, give us a great setting and, uh, you know, give us a great atmosphere to be in, certainly better than being in a trailer, uh, sleeping, even though, we, you know, we kind of roll with the punches. So, uh, and then we made our way back up through hotels. So I, I don't think anyone anticipated we'd be in a, a nunnery, a rodeo, or a, re- or a Catholic retreat house on this trip, but that's where we wound up. And it makes for a great story. When you are in a uh, area where the, you know, it's ravaged and businesses are closed, where do you like have, um, you know, get lunch or dinner? How does that work? Yes. So a lot of that kind of depended on where we were located at the time. When we were in the Mississippi area, as I mentioned, most of that area was restored. So it was kind of easy to go and grab lunch, breakfast, lunch, or dinner from either the hotel or a neighboring restaurant. They, they pretty much had their power back on. Once we got down to the Ponchatoula area, obviously a lot more devastation down there, more businesses impacted, and certainly some limitations on, on what resources that were available food-wise and even fuel-wise at the early stages of our involvement down there. G did work with us while we were at the camps to be able to get breakfast, to have a, you know, basically a box lunch to take with us on the road, and then dinner would be ready for us when we got back. Once we actually moved from the camp area into the retreat house for the remainder of our stay, they actually had a, a chef in a kitchen on site. So they were able to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the team each day. And slowly but surely, as we we and other utilities and, and folks down there restored power to the main strip that they had down in the area, we were able to take advantage of maybe some of the restaurants that the community had to offer. And they had some great, great places there. And I think, again, that's another way uh, folks, they're kind of recovering. And it, another thing we can do certainly is help the local 
community and businesses get back up on their feet by supporting them and taking advantage of what the local cuisine has to offer and really be become kind of a part of the community for the short time that we're there. So we were well taken care of in terms of food. I don't think anybody has any complaints after coming back from the trip. Uh, in fact, there are often times when crews would be working around lunchtime and neighbors watching them work would make food for lunch and bring it out to the crews and drinks and food and offer them even food to take back for other folks. So I will say the community down there was really terrific. You know, that that is Southern hospitality at its uh, finest. Um, and, you know, you all were lucky to be able to meet up with some wonderful people down there. Now, when we were um, watching a lot of the coverage on the news, you know, the area did look really devastated. Can you paint a picture for us of what it looked like when you were there on the scene? What was the devastation like? I, I think in the case of Ida, what we saw was far more wind impact from our perspective than flooding. When we first arrived on location, the sheer number of trees down across roads and on properties was, it's like nothing I'd ever seen. Uh, trees sheared off at the base, trees totally uprooted. So it became pretty clear to us that beyond just, you know, a steady wind, they they may, even some of the community reported, they believe they had some tornadoes go through there during the middle of the storm. And many members of the community told us, and this didn't only come from one, that they'd ridden out many storms in the area before, but this is the first time in their life they were ever afraid to be there. And I think that Hearing it from those folks who've been through a number of events, I think that really hits home when you when you think through the the things we know they've gone through in, in the past you know decade or even twenty years. It's, they've certainly seen impact. So you could quickly see just from the number of trees down, uh, devastating loss to some homes. You know, trees down on homes, uh, homes totally destroyed. You know, broken through in half. Uh, you know, walls kind of pulled down. And it's really sad when you when you get down there and obviously you, you want to do what you can to help those folks, right? Get them in a safe position, talk with them. Uh, in some of those cases, what we can provide may be limited. You know, if the home isn't safe to take power, there's really not much we can do. But what we could do is maybe offer them some advice or connect them with other contacts we had through, through the other resources in the community to maybe get them the help they needed. So we tried to do that as much as we could, but certainly... A lot of devastation and a lot of tree cleanup that I'm sure is still going on to this day from from the storm impact. Now, I know we're used to, um, you know, uh, crazy weather up here in our region, you know, very cold, very, you know, very hot. Uh, what was the weather like down there? What was it? Um, was it extremely humid? Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like to work, um, you know, day in and day out in that type of uh, that type of weather. So you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, humid would be the best way to describe it. Hot and humid basically every day. And we certainly get our fair share of that on some days up here, but I don't think it's as relentless, let's say, as it can feel down, down in that area where you're really always battling heat and the high level of humidity. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the things we did and one of the things Entergy had us do when we were down there is they had like a humidity index as part of our, part of our safety briefing and part of the one of the safety tools we had to use during the course of the day was to track the heat index on an hourly basis. And if that index got too hot, then we, we had to change our rest work patterns for the crews to ensure we were getting an adequate amount of rest and adequate amount of fluids 
between between work periods just to ensure we kept folks safe and and we you know we certainly didn't want to have anybody having a sort of you know heat stroke or other heat related event while we were down there so i think that was our biggest challenge from an environmental perspective was really the getting through the heat and it and it really didn't break for the period that we were down there and i think certainly another added challenge was just the the nature around you right uh different uh, lay of the land, different animals and creatures that you need to be aware of that we don't face up here in the, in the New York area. And that's part of that safety and environmental challenge as well as knowing what you may come across. You know, certainly saw our fair share of a few alligators, snakes, uh, wild boar, uh, just walking around and even things down to, you know, a lot of those homes don't have fences. They're pretty, pretty much open property. So a lot of even the pets, like dogs, are just out. You know, they're not leashed. So you have to have a little bit of a different awareness, right? As you're walking around, you're walking through high brush, walking into forested areas. It, there's a, a different level of hazard. And you got to you know, tune in a little bit differently than you normally would. Um, was there any kind of COVID protocol there uh, on location or anything different than what we do up here? No, in fact, their COVID protocol for Entergy was very, very, very similar to Con Edison's. It wasn't anything we weren't used to in terms of when, when it's appropriate to wear a mask or when it's okay to not wear a mask. So that made, made it certainly an easier transition for us. But it's still one of those things you have to be aware of while you're working. Uh, you know, you're dealing with different living arrangements, obviously. Uh, you know, multiple people together who aren't normally together. So being sensitive to that, keeping track of who's together, making sure we're doing what we have to do to keep folks healthy. Those were all parts of the the daily conversation. And even down there, we noticed store to store, you, it could be very different. One store would require masks. One store may not require masks. So uh, that, I think that was probably the community-based aspect of COVID was probably a little bit more of... Uh, an adjustment for the team than necessarily our current COVID protocols or even entities, which are which are extraordinarily similar. Now let's turn our focus to the customers. Um, did you were you in contact with any of these customers? I mean, you know, I can imagine, you know, a rural a rural customer in Louisiana is not expecting a New Yorker to show up and they're at their doorstep, um, did you did you have any sort of interaction with any of the, uh, any of the local customers? And what was the procedure on restoring those customers? So we did quite a bit. Uh, you know, Panchatula is I, I what what we would probably frame as a suburban type of community, uh, larger property footprints, but still you could see your neighbor's house from from your house. In many cases, there, there wasn't a huge amount of distance between the two. Our interactions with the customers were frequent. As I mentioned, very gracious and thankful and supportive of the work that we were trying to do down there for them uh, to, to get them their power back. You know, early on in the in the restoration, we really focus on main, what we'd say like main runs so that we get those, let's say main streets back and energize. And then we can focus on individual customers ensuring that their service is adequate and safe to be restored, and then we restore them. We interacted with a majority of the customers in the area that we were serving. Uh, that was either to, to touch base with them to make sure that their power was good, to check the 
adequacy of their service to ensure that their home was safe and okay to accept service, particularly if the home had been damaged in the storm in some way. We made, you know, I would say friends, right, with some of the customers down there, uh, acquaintances who, and so they would be a resource for us in terms of, hey, we need to go do this, or we need to get a certain piece of material, or we need, you know, even, you know, we get a car stuck in the mud and there'd be a customer there. Oh yeah, I have a, you know, I have a truck. I can just pull you right out of the mud. This way you're not stuck there, right? Things like that. And we got to a point where we knew where, what houses, who lived in, and if we needed a certain piece of information, uh, we, we knew who to reach out to and those customers would make themselves available to us. So it's re- really a great experience in that way. And in fact, one of the local customers one night brought his family by to where we were staying and insisted on cooking us dinner for the entire, you know, 59 of us. So uh, his customer and his, uh, and his wife and kids and some friends came over and cooked a bunch of food and, and fed the whole crew. So really just really fantastic people. And the, some of the, the local folks made, I look, these are not out of the, out of the ordinary foods, but you know, homemade fudge and they made like homemade gumbo. There was a, there was a man who was growing uh, mandarins. He had mandarin trees and orange trees, like beautiful, beautiful trees in his yard that he'd probably been growing for, for 20 years that he was picking fresh mandarins as we were working and giving them to uh, myself and the crews and the mandarins were, they weren't even fully ripe yet, but they were absolutely delicious. And it just, again, one of those little things that just strikes you like in the midst of all this chaos, he's picking mandarins and handing them out to us while, while we help him out. He had just had open heart surgery not too long ago. And so we were working to try to get his air conditioner back on and get him power back. Uh, and he picked some fruit for us. It was absolutely delicious. I have one last question for you. What did you did you what, what did you see or hear that you'll never forget uh, during this whole trip? Wow, that is an interesting question. Early on, well, one of our first days down there, they actually gave us a project to help restore uh, an animal hospital that had been out of power, and they, and they were afraid that the animals were right uh, getting hot. So we kind of put a special task force on that just to work with the animal hospital. And we did successfully get their power back. But in fact, a couple of customers passed the animal hospital. Uh, that, that whole block, in fact, was really devastated. It was a short block, trees down on a couple of the houses, um, houses really, really destroyed. But there was one house in particular uh, on, on the run, and there was a, a family there with a special needs child. And I remember, you know, w- walking around that house and, and taking a look. And a few members of the team you know, had gone down over that house to really check it out and started to get information, gather information on the, on the house and the status. And a member of the community law enforcement had come by and said he was coming to check on that family because he knows them and he wants to make sure they're okay. So we had kind of partnered with the, with him and the family to expedite their recovery. They needed some electrical work done before we can go ahead and get them power back. And we were able to go back there, you know, within a day and in other, in, in some cases, you know, that may have taken numerous days, depending on how fast they could really get what they needed, but we were able to stay in contact with the family and work with them and get them their power back right away. And I know they were extraordinarily relieved, but being able to see the look on that child's face, it's the reason why, you know, we keep showing up. Patrick, thank you uh, for everything that you did, um, what everything that you do for the company and really helping those people out that really need it. That's our show, and thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Plugged In with Patrick Hanley. 
If you have a comment or question about the program, you can send us an email to podcast at coned.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, you can follow us on all of our social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Our handle is at Con Edison. Stay safe and stay plugged in. I'm Alfonso Quiros.